We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just saying that he's off to a nice start. Why does it have to be all or nothing all the time? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing it for the show. Field of 68 till I die. This is the Field of 68 After Dark Show, the only place that you need to be for college hoops every single night. And we are live. Welcome to the Thursday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. We are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. I'm joined tonight on SiriusXM Channel 84, that is the ESPNU station, and on YouTube by Pittsburgh's own Ashton Gibbs, and a Hall of Famer making his first appearance on After Dark, the legend Mike DeCorsi of Fox Sports. Uh, we have a loaded show. We have a loaded slate. Uh, we're going to talk some, uh, spend some time talking about the number one seed race and whether or not Arizona and Purdue and some of these other teams have a chance to get there. And we need to talk about what's happening at the top of the Big Ten and the top of the Big East. But first and foremost, we had a battle of top 10 teams tonight in the Pac-12 as Arizona outlasted UCLA 76-66, to getting revenge for a win uh, that UCLA got in Pauley Pavilion about nine days ago. 16 points, five assists from Kirk Kirsten. Mike, I'm going to you first on this one, man. It's your first time on the show. Give us something uh, something insightful. How how good is Arizona when Kirk Kirsten can play the way that he played tonight? Oh, they're terrific. And remember uh... – Benedict Matherin only had 11 points tonight. I thought they, I thought they missed opportunities to emphasize him a little bit more than they could, than they did. Uh, I, I think he's fantastic. I mean, every time I see him, he, he makes some little move that takes my breath away. And then, it, and then I look at the box score at the end of the game and I'm like, man, I think there's more in there. You know, uh, same thing when they played a week ago, he did four or five things that were outstanding and, but the numbers weren't great. And, Obviously not terrific tonight, but it, they 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 shot the ball really well. Uh, Arizona did. I thought UCLA was much too stagnant on offense. Way too much individual one on one taking on the, the Arizona defense. And and when they when they abandoned that and they got back in the game, thought that uh, they they went to Cody Riley too much down the stretch because he was really struggling with Christian Coloco. And why wouldn't you? I mean, the guys the guy's amazing. Uh, uh, blocking shots and he's such a good defensive player. And I thought that Juzang was just, you know, I, I thought he had a chance to really get going and it, and it never quite happened. Yeah. yeah I, thought, I, I thought that the, what happened down the stretch was it felt like Jaime Hawkins. I mean, he hasn't played in, in what is it like six or seven days, right? 
with the the COVID protocols and right. Um, and Jaime Hawkins dealing with no, it was Juzang with the COVID protocols. Jaime Hawkins had the uh, had the ankle injury right. was banged right. up, and it felt like Ashton that down the stretch those guys it just looked like they were gas. It didn't look like UCLA was playing at hundred percent. When when you had two studs like that, and the guys getting your shots are Tiger Campbell and Cody Riley, that probably means that those guys aren't at hundred percent. Oh, for sure. And I think the the biggest difference was, especially late in the game, uh, the sense of urgency defensively uh, really hurt UCLA, uh, especially on closeouts. Um, Arizona did a good job of knocking down three-point shots. I thought Tommy Lloyd did a really good job of throwing the ball inside to uh, to Bellis, especially in the beginning of the game um, in, in the high-low action. They did a really good job of Christian Coloco to Bellis, a really – um, underneath, just finishing and, and pounding the ball underneath. And you could tell as the game got going, that's when the perimeter shots, you know, started to open up for Arizona and the game just uh, kind of went their way. Mike, what do you make of these two teams kind of from a national perspective, right? Like, I think it's become pretty clear that they are the two best teams in the Pac-12. And it's those two, along with Gonzaga, that are the class of, uh, of, of the West coast. So wh- what do you make of them? They split uh, their, their home and home this season. Uh, I think you can argue that UCLA probably has some better wins. Uh, Arizona may be a little bit more talented and they're a little flashier and a little bit more fun to watch when they're playing well. So what do you make of this, these, these two teams? Well, I, I think that they're both terrific and it's a little unfortunate that there aren't more teams in the conference that can stand up and challenge them. I, it, it, it's bad for them because it makes it harder to justify seating them high uh, because they're both great. Uh, so if you do it on, on talent or performance or uh, predictive metrics, then, then you can say, okay, they're both great and they should get high seeds, but they don't get the number of opportunities to get quality wins that others do. And now they've both faced each other and, and split. And so uh, obviously that if everything works out and they're able to get all the game scheduled, you, you, you each also get two games against SC and that's a very good basketball team and a worthy opponent and, and, and a, a quality opportunity for, for each of them. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I, I, we watched the Stanford game at Poly last Saturday, Stanford should have put up a better fight than they did. Uh, you know, the other teams in the league, uh, just don't seem to be able to muster the level of consistency. Oregon is, a, is a, I think, an important opponent, uh, an important uh, team for the Pac-12, because now that they have the the, Cal- the Southern California sweep, can they add more to that by dominating the other teams in the conference by maybe getting a win, uh, or you know, against against the Wildcats, uh, or or uh, you know, a second time around when they're up in Oregon. Uh, the Southern California team. So can they add something to that and maybe get another team into the tournament? And then maybe you, uh, you beef up the opportunity to, to gain accomplishment by Arizona UCLA. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's the, the big concern with this league right now, right? You're looking at it and you see USC, as long as they don't do anything dumb, they're probably going to be able to get in. They just have good enough metrics and you're going to have a good enough record. Uh, but if they, if you want to get more than three teams in the turn, I, I don't know who it could be. Other than Oregon for that fourth team, is anyone else in, in your mind close to the bubble at this point? No, I I, I had Stanford in the picture prior to the UCLA game uh, that fell off with their performance, and it, I, I don't have anybody else in the picture at this point. It's it, 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 I think that one of those teams, Washington State, 
Washington, uh, uh, I guess Colorado. I mean, one of them would have to go on a tear through February and basically rule. And none of those teams has suggested that they're capable of that. And Oregon, of course, as I said before, they're, you know, they are, you know, hanging by a thread, so to speak Uh, on my bracket. I think the last time around we had them in a, in a uh, first four game, maybe the last two times around we had them there, but I think we had them after the SoCal sweep, we had them up to a nine, but then they dropped a few. So they're, they, they really need to have a strong February. They don't, they don't need to win every game like some of those other teams, but they need to have a strong February to, to get away from the danger zone of the first four. Right. Uh, Ashton, I, I want to ask you about Arizona. Um, what do you think the ceiling is for this group? And, and what do you think it's going to take for them to be able to land some kind of consistency um, to get to that ceiling? Um, well, I think they could be a final four team. You talk about top to bottom, they have what it takes. They have a dynamic player in Matherin. They have a solid point guard in Kirk Creasa. They have the bigs down low where they can, you know, force feed Christian Coloco to Bellis like we saw in the beginning of the UCLA game tonight. Um, Now it's just going to be consistency from the perimeter. Uh, I think the better they shoot it, especially from three, the better they'll be. And uh, you talk about playing at home. uh, They look at that crowd today was unbelievable. And then, um, you know, I, I think Kirk Creasa is going to be the key to their team because he brings energy, guys feed off of him. Um, he really defends, but when he makes shots, uh, it opens up uh, down low for Coloco, for Tubelis. Those guys can really finish. They can make plays and they can pass out the post as well. So when a guy like him is, is making shots, the sky's the limit for them. And I think they can, they can definitely get to a final four. Yeah, I, I think Kerr's the X factor. Like, I, I kind of tease it a little bit at the open, but when he's playing well, um, he's not a guy that's ever unconfident. I feel like he's the only guy that can be confident shooting when he's missed 17 straight shots in a row like he did earlier on this season. Uh, but when he's playing well and when those shots are going in and when he's able to create off the bounce and make something happen, you know, I feel like he can get a little bit too excitable at times. Like, sometimes the moment might be a little bit too big for him because it feels like he just wants it too much at times. But when he is doing what he did, especially in the first half tonight, um, I thought that he was terrific, and, and that's why they were able to make that run and get out to that. What were they, 14 in the first half at one point? I feel like he's – you talk about stars, then you talk about X factors or uh, whatever cliche you want to use. I feel like he is the X factor for this group. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting about his X factor ability is the willingness to shoot from – oh, I mean, 28? I mean, not, not hesitating at all. And that was like, that was when the game uh, he took, he took a 28 footer from right in front of the bench. And so, uh, you know, like if, if the coach doesn't like the shot, he is right there. Uh, and it, he didn't hesitate. And that, I, I think the, I think the willingness and ability to do that and to make that shot is it's a weapon uh, because it, it stretches the court. It makes you it makes you harder to guard when you when you can go out that far and people have to honor it. All of a sudden, there's so much room inside uh, for someone like Matherin to hit the lane uh, and to you know either float it up for a, for a lob or or go up himself. So I think that's a real weapon, and I I think I think Matherin is a tremendous player. Uh, I, I really like him. When I see him, I I see 
you know, I see worlds of pro potential that, that uh, is, is out there for him to reach. Uh, but I, I agree that 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 Creasa is someone uh, who has a lot of different ways to help that team win, and you know that range is where it begins. Yeah, one one more thing I want to ask you, Ashton, before we move on to UCLA is uh, I thought Dalen Terry was uh, at times the best player on the floor. Um, he finished; he didn't quite get to a triple double. He's going to get one before the season is over. But he finished with ten points, nine boards, seven assists. Uh, and no turnovers. He is the quintessential. You look at glue guy in the dictionary. He is the glue guy. He brings all of those other pieces on this team together. Oh, definitely. I, I thought his best attribute tonight was guarding Johnny Juzang. Um, he just did a really good job of keeping him in front. Um, and I, I think that's what really separated uh, UCLA tonight was Juzang didn't really get off like he uh, should have in the past and past games. So um, it was due to Terry, you know, being active defensively, um, really being in gaps, keeping them in front and then just contesting every shot. That's all you can ask for. And he fills up the stat sheet. Um, he's a motor. He's a glue guy. Like you said, he, he has an unbelievable motor and he gives them energy, especially when you're at home. You need a guy like that that can give you energy, uh, do the dirty work, uh, defend. And you don't have to call a play for him. That's that's one of the, his best attributes also. So he's he's going to be a key piece moving forward for Arizona, for sure. Yeah, and he knocked out a couple threes tonight that were really big um, in the second half. All right, Mike, let's talk about UCLA. Are, how, are you worried at all about this group? Or was this just a situation where uh, maybe they didn't have a couple of their stars at full strength? You go on the road, you play against an elite team, and you get beat. It happens. It's college basketball. Yeah, even if even if uh, even if Johnny and and Jaime were 100 percent, you could lose that game. I mean, you're playing a terrific team on the road. Um, it, yeah, that that happens. I mean, I, I wouldn't worry about that at all. I, I do think that uh, I think they need to keep the offense flowing more. They have so many guys that can get their own shot. And I mean, Johnny can't. Jaime can't. Um, Jules Bernard, you know, they all can get their own shot, but, but when they do that, if it doesn't go down because they haven't moved because, you know, because everybody's kind of stationary waiting to get things going a lot today, there were a lot of those kinds of shots that didn't fall. I think UCLA only shot 38% from the field. And then it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one and out. Uh, You know, Arizona's got three, six, 10 guys there to rebound the ball and you're not getting it. So, I, when they flowed, when they moved, they were much more difficult to stop. So they have to do that more. They have to save the, the one-on-one stuff for late clock. And it, that's a great thing to have. Like you're, you have four guys on the floor who can, who can deal with late clock. And so great, have that for them, but run your stuff, you know, push a little bit more. That's another thing that they wanted to do that in the preseason. And when they did it tonight, they were really effective but they were a little bit too patient offensively They're walking the ball up a little bit too much. And, and I'm not, talking I, about I think that probably tired. had a little to do with trying to get Arizona out of what they wanted to do, but you're 100% right about the one-on-one stuff. I, I mean, they, they live on tough twos and it feels like they don't have to live on tough twos when right. you have some of the guys that they have on that roster. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I mean, literally, you know, if you, if you got seven seconds on the shot clock, any one of four guys can, can make a play and it may not be the perfect play, but it's a play. Uh, but uh, tonight they were doing that with 20 seconds on the shot clock 
25 mm -hmm. seconds on the shot clock. And, and you're, you're not you're, like, they did that a lot in the Stanford game and dominated. So it wasn't a great performance on Saturday, but they still dominated. Uh, it's, it's a habit that they fall into because they can do it, uh, but they have to get themselves away from that. Uh, they, they, they're, they're too good when they run their stuff. And, and when you've got five guys that can score, if the guy that shoots is always open, then there's a really good chance that you're going to shoot a high number and you're going to win. And so that's what they have to keep, you know, have to keep their minds on that. Defensively, I, you know, I don't think they're an elite team, but uh, I thought there were moments tonight when they were pretty effective. They, you know, they, they, they lost some players from here, here and there in some key times, uh, but I thought they were pretty effective by and large. It just, uh, it, 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 it it's a question of making sure that they have their minds on it. And I, I think sometimes they drift out of that a little bit, but I, I, I don't have any serious concerns about them being a, a terrific team. You know, the, because they came out of the final four and brought everybody back, they were pretty highly projected. And then it became kind of cool when they finally lost a game or two to say, eh, I never really thought they were that great anyway. I think they've shown since then, you know, they're one of the best teams. Uh, they're flawed. So is everybody else in some way. So it's a question of conquering your flaws or over or, you know, papering over your flaws or however you want to say it. Uh, I think, you know, most of the nights they do that. I think you just described my, uh, my, my roller coaster of emotions when it comes to this, this I'm, I'm 100% the guy that you're referring to when you talk about getting on the bandwagon early, jumping off and then getting back on after they looked really good when they kind of, uh, when they beat Arizona. So I, I want to ask you this, Ashton, um, Last year, this UCLA team was known for being really good offensively, and they couldn't get stops until the tournament. Right now, they are actually a top 10 team on uh, Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency metric. They jumped in there after this performance tonight. Uh, I think that's how they're going to have to win games moving forward. They need to be great defensively and make just enough shots to be able to win if you kind of win some, some close games. And I'll tell you what, that switch in defense they played, I thought they did really, really well against – uh, what Arizona was trying to run, pick and roll stuff in the second half. Yeah, you you got to hang. I think they should definitely hang their hat uh, on their defense. And that's what Mick Cronin is used to as well, going back to his Cincinnati days, is almost being a tough, gritty, defensive-minded team. Um, and, you know, like Mike said, they have the offensive weapons. I think they also need to get the ball in uh, early offense, um, just try to get the ball, you know, across half court, kick it ahead, a few times and get early easy buckets um, so they're not playing late into the shot clock. Uh, but defensively is where they should really hang their hat. They have, you know, Cody Riley, Miles Johnson underneath where they can change shots. Uh, you know, Johnny Juzang, Tiger Campbell, these guys can really defend um, athletes that can really defend, stay in front of guys. And then you have McCrona. He's he's known as a defensive minded coach. So um, they have what it takes. Now it's just, you know, sticking to it and, and being consistent, hanging your hat on it and just being consistent, especially getting late and in, later into the season. Well, listen, we have to head to a quick break here. But coming up next, I am going to tell you guys why Arizona actually doesn't want a number one seed this season. Clear. All right, Dagan, if you can uh, jump in real quick. You got any questions coming in from the chat? I see that it's going off a little bit right now. Yes, we do. We do have a few. 
Um, one from Andrew Schaefer. Are Kansas and Michigan State two highly ranked teams that can be knocked out in the first weekend? Yes. Yes. <laughs> all of us, all of us agree. All right. Is I think it's as simple as that. I don't trust uh I don't trust the Kansas point guard play quite yet. Um and Michigan State, I will never ever say anything nice about because I don't like Carter Elliott. Uh next question. Funny enough, oh, Carter Elliott is in the chat. Um so oh, he, I know he I definitely, see him. He definitely I know heard he's that watching. One. Um Nick McCardle is fully healthy Kentucky team best suited to beat Auburn in March. If not, who is? Best suited to beat Auburn. Um, I think there are a lot of teams that can beat Auburn. I don't think – I know it's kind of gotten to the point where they're the consensus number one, but I don't think that it's Auburn and everybody else the way that it was Gonzaga and Baylor and everybody else this year. You you guys agree? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think Auburn is terrific. But uh, I, think the, I, I think the fact – one of the interesting things about this season to me is that as strong as the SEC is at the top, that Auburn gets placed in almost no jeopardy by the 15. nature of the schedule. And I think they can handle a lot of it, but I also think that they, you know, that there's a loss out there for them. If they had to play one of those games, they don't go to LSU. They don't go to Kentucky. Um, I, I think they're really solid, go. but uh, I do think they're beatable. And we are back. This is the field of 68 after dark we are live right now on sirius xm channel 84 that is the espnu station we're streaming on youtube we're streaming on twitter if you are watching on youtube right now hit that like button uh, hit that subscribe button on the channel all that stuff really does help ask us some questions in the chat we're going to be answering those at every break uh i want to start with this for for our, our second segment here I don't know if Arizona can get a one seed. I think that they're in a decent position to do it. They don't have a lot of quad one wins left, and there's some other teams that are going to be competing with them for it uh, that have plenty more to case in point. There are four quad one games left on Gonzaga's schedule. There are two left on Arizona's schedule at this point. So I don't think that they want a one seed, Mike. I think that what Arizona wants is a two seed, stay in the West, and not have to go flying halfway across the country uh, to be able just to say they have a one seed. Am I crazy? I, I, here's why you're crazy. Cause like, I would rather fly 3,000 miles. This is going to be a long list. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, no, no. I, I would rather fly 3,000 miles than have to play Gonzaga in the regional final. Uh, it's that, it's that simple. Uh, if I can get to the final four without having to play them, that's who, that's who, you know, not that Gonzaga is an automatic, but I, I, you know, I, I, one of the things that I, one of my themes this year has been, that Chet Holmgren has to go from being a curiosity to being a great player. And I think it was gradually starting to see that tonight. Uh, he did some amazing things again, curiosity, but also put up huge numbers, great player and obviously not a great opponent, but the, if, if he does, then you've got, you know, guys who make shots, uh, you've got, you know, a great veteran big man and Drew Timmy. There's a lot there. So if I can get away from that, you know, you'll play, if you're Arizona and you're a, uh, if, you, if you're a one or two anywhere, you're still probably going to play in the West for, to start it. Then you only have to step on that plane once. It could be as close as San Antonio, uh, which isn't that far for Arizona. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, Chicago, they can probably get you – know, I, I imagine they'll charter, but if, if they don't have to, at least their fans can get a direct flight from Phoenix to Chicago. So, it, you know, I, I think I'd rather be 
if I could be a one for sure, I'd rather be a one anywhere. And if I could be a two anywhere, I'd rather be a two. If I'm Arizona, I'd rather be a two in San Antonio. Here's my counterpoint. Okay. Uh, we as media members tend to root for storylines. And is there ever going to be a better storyline than an elite eight game between Tommy Lloyd and Mark few with their two programs with the final four on the line? So I need to, I'm, I'm trying to speak this into existence, Arizona. They want a two seat because I want them to be a two seat. Cause I want that game in the elite eight. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, Ash, I want to ask you this. You, you've played in tournament games. How much, how much does it matter? Being, did you ever play in a game that was, that was close to Pittsburgh and how much does it matter actually being like within driving distance or within a short flight? Or Rob, within... I think you're bringing up a really bad memory for Ash and I'm just guessing. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it does. I, I think, you know, the closer you play to, to your home, the better. You're talking about um, just seeing your family and friends, having fans there. I think it's something to be said about it, honestly. Um, just just more comfortable in general. Um, your, your, your daily routine doesn't change as much. Um, so I've always been a fan of, you know, playing closer to home. But obviously, you know, we... We lost a Butler in Washington, D.C., three, four hours away. And uh, it was, you know, that, I would say that was a close. It was close enough to Pittsburgh for us to win, especially as a one seed. So uh, it, it could go both ways. But my preference for the most part, just because of a daily routine, um, it doesn't change as much. Even your sleeping schedule, I think it makes a difference uh, from that standpoint. Hand, hand up. I forgot that that game happened. I forgot that you were on that, uh, that <laughs> roster. So my bad for picking up bad memories. <laughs> um, all right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the potential one seeds in the big 10, because I think it's going to be fascinating uh, to see who, who, who ends up coming out of that conference. Cause I don't know, like Illinois is in first place in the league right now. A lot of people think that Purdue's probably the best team. Like, I don't know if it, someone's going to win that league with, with fewer than like five losses. It just feels like there's too much, too many, too many good teams that are kind of in the way for, especially down the stretch when they, they backload these schedules at the biggest games. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the problem. Uh, the, the, the advantage Purdue has is that they're getting better and their best will be difficult for a lot of the teams in the league to handle. And I think the same is true of Illinois. Although I don't know the, the trip from, from here to Illinois' best is a much longer journey than what Purdue has. Uh, Illinois play, played with Andre Corbello last night, uh, last night, I think for 11 minutes. He was really good at seven points. And of course, Kofi Coburn was ridiculous. Um, but that's one of the few times they've been on the floor together. I think it's been like five times that they've actually played together. And I'm a big believer that, that when Corbello is healthy and sharp, and that, that has not been the case really at all this year. Um, uh, when he's healthy and sharp, he is, he is as good at attacking a defense, setting up a teammate, getting his own shot as any, as any point guard in the country. And so does he get there? I mean, he, he missed so much time and they missed so much time with him. They've done, it's really remarkable that they're nine and two in the league when they haven't been whole nearly at all, but if they get there and quickly and it, and they can, do damage in the league, you know, maybe they can climb up to toward the top of the line. I, I think it's going to be hard for them to get all the way to a one seed 
with the number of losses they took early, some of the nature of the losses they took early, uh, a 20 pointer to Cincinnati, for instance, uh, it may be hard for them to get all the way up there uh, because even if they get to be great, they're going to drop some games in this league. There are too many really good teams that they have to face. Yeah. The, the loss to Cincinnati, the thing that, that kind of uh, locks it in is that I believe that they were full at full strength. No, it looks like they didn't have uh Corbello in that game. Oh no, they did. They, so they were at full strength in that game. They didn't have Kofi for the Marquette loss. They didn't have Mar- Kofi for uh, the Maryland loss, but I will say this, they do have some, um, some good games and some tough ones down the stretch. And the thing about the big 10 is uh, every, it feels like every single game that they're going to end up playing uh, would, would qualify as a quad one uh, win. I do think, you know, my, my counterpoint would be, I, I don't think that they'll climb their way up to the one seed line. I do think that they're going to be the most dangerous team in March because they have the longest way to go from what they are now to get to their ceiling. So that tells me their ceilings pretty high when they're sitting here, Ash, and nine to two in the big 10, all alone in first place in a league that's as deep as that conference is. Oh, for sure. And you talk about uh, Kofi being a, a man child, man amongst boys almost. And then uh, they can really shoot it. You know, Alfonso Plummer, uh, Trent Frazier. And then when Corbello's on top of his game, he's one of the best playmakers in the big 10, if not the country. So um, they have what it takes to get, to a final four, honestly, um, to be one of the better teams in the country. And like you said, Rob, they're, they're definitely a, a scary team to see um, in March um, just because of the inside out game. They can sh- they can really shoot it. But late shot clock, especially uh, when you get into March, uh, you need a guard that can create plays, not, not only for himself, but for others getting to the lane. And I think that's what Corbello does. All right, we gotta, we're coming up on a break here soon, Mike, but I do want to ask you about, um, about Wisconsin really quick because they're sitting, I believe they are in now third place in, in the Big Ten standings. Um, they are 29th on Ken Palm. They are 21st on the net right now, uh, but they have one of the strongest profiles, I think, that you can find for teams in terms of wins and losses, right? They have seven quad one wins. They beat Houston on a neutral. They won at Purdue, and they don't have a loss to any team that is outside the top 30 there. I'm doing air quotes here. Their worst loss is a home loss to Providence that happened way back in November in the ACC big 10 challenge that came without Johnny Davis. So how do you, how do you go about seeding a team like this? Yeah, it's, it's really a challenge. And I had that as a one in my Tuesday bracket and took a lot of heat for it because uh, you know, first of all, you get the people who are keyed in on the AP poll. And I try to explain patiently that that's not a factor at all. It's not even in the room, basically. But the, the, those who are uh, keyed into uh, Ken Palm and et cetera, and, and, and you know, from a metric standpoint, uh, those metrics, the predictive metrics, uh, Wisconsin scores very, very poorly uh, relative to their accomplishment. And so when I put them as a one, I took a lot of heat from those people. But those aren't the only metrics that matter and maybe not the ones that matter most. Uh, the strength of record metric, uh, KPI from Kevin Pauga, those two that are more oriented toward your accomplishment. Who have you beaten and where did you beat and where did you beat them? Uh, they Wisconsin before the uh, before the Illinois loss was two in strength of record and three in KPI. So there are other metrics out there to consider. And when you know when I was doing it on Monday, I look at it like at a certain point I said, like, you can't deny the resume. I mean, no matter what all the metrics say, you can't deny it. And it, 
usually what happens is that over the course of February, the teams that finish really strongly in, in the predictive metrics, the, the teams that are performing really strongly, they usually end up stacking up a few more wins than the ones that don't. You know, the Providence-Wisconsin group versus the Kentucky group. Usually the Kentucky group ends up finding a rhythm and winning a lot of games down the stretch. And then it all kind of, it's not that hard. It's not, it, it becomes easier. But if, but, you know, there are some special teams. And if Wisconsin and Providence are those teams and they keep stacking those wins the way they have, you know, the predictive metrics will probably never catch all the way up. But the, the resume will be so impressive that I think it's hard to deny. And I think the committee will say that. Yeah, those those wins are always going to be great wins, and they're never going to go away. You win in Mackey Arena, that's always going to stay on your resume. You beat Houston, that's always going to stay on your resume. And you know what? That that win over Houston is going to look great because the AEC is not good. Uh, but listen, <laughs> we gotta we gotta take a quick break here. Coming up next, there is one team in the Big East that is capable of making a run to the Final Four, and I don't think that it's Villanova or Providence. You're clear. I'm getting pretty good at these trolling teases, guys. Um, uh, Dagan, we got any uh, we got any good questions coming from the chat? Of course we do. Um, AO wants to know: Will Indiana make the tournament? And how was Mike Woodson's year gone so far on a scale of one to ten? Go ahead, take that, Mike. Well, I, I I'd say that it's almost you know it's almost impossible for them not to make it. I mean they're they're you know they're well inside the bracket now. Uh, uh, they aren't going to collapse. Uh, even if they finish poorly, they'll still get in late in the bracket. So I don't think there's any question. Well, keep going. We got one minute. I was going to say from, from a standpoint of how his year's gone, I'd say it's probably a 8.8 maybe. And it did everything right in the off season, including keeping trace Jackson Davis um, in season took a little while to maybe uh, get the rhythm of the college basketball scene. But over the last six weeks or so, I don't think he's done much wrong. I think that they're, I think he's doing a really nice job. Yeah, I got one for you, 30. Ashton. Is uh, is Trent Frazier the most underrated player in college basketball? Because I think that he is the most underrated player in college basketball. I, I, I think so, man. I think so. Just the way he can he he can shoot Tough. it. Just a winner overall. He any any locks up defensively, 15. man. So uh, I, I like him off. Obviously, Kofi opens a lot of things up for him on the perimeter, but yeah, he's definitely underrated. There you go. And we are back. This is the Field of 68 After Dark. You're hearing us on Sirius XM Channel 84, the ESPN News Station. We're also live on YouTube and streaming on Twitter right now. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. All the interactions really do help us within the algorithm, and we're all uh, we're all uh, the algorithm is king to everything that we do on all these networks. So that does help. Make sure you ask us questions in the chat. We're going to be answering them at breaks. Uh, I teased it before. I think Marquette is the team that has the best chance to make a run. Uh, in March, out of the Big East, Ashton. They just beat up on Villanova. They've swept Villanova. Uh, They are probably the hottest team in college basketball. I know that Providence picked them off at home. Um, I was, I think I might have been more impressed that that Marquette was able to hang with the team as good as Providence in their own building. Uh, So what do you, what do you make of that? Are they the team best suited from the Big East to make a deep run in March? Uh, As of now, yes. Um, I I loved Villanova uh, for a while. And 
I thought their outing against the Wildcats was unbelievable. I think Shaka Smart has done a great job with their culture um, early on. Um, Tyler Kolick, a lot of a lot of people haven't. A lot of people didn't like him, you know, going from George Mason to the Big East, making a big jump like that. Um, he's doing a really good job uh, at, at point guard for them, making making big shots, but being under control. And then you talk about Daryl Morsell and Justin Lewis. These are two of the top top players in the Big East. I think Justin Lewis has to be, you know, number one right now in the Big East player of the year. Um, if you're talking about rankings right now and then they defend. I think they they really do a good job of defending, keeping guys in front of them, contesting shots, and they never get rattled. I think that's one of their biggest traits. They don't get rattled as other teams go on runs. You you rarely see guys getting rattled, and they they don't get phased out. And I think that's a testament to Shaka Smart's uh, coaching and just building that culture within. And they're they're playing their best right now. I think the best is yet to come for these guys for sure. You know what I love about them, Mike? I love that they went out and they they got the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year to transfer into their program, and they turned him into a guy that can go out and get you 20 on any given night when you need it. When they made their run late against Villanova last night, it was because they just gave the ball to Darren Morsell and just said, go get a bucket, and he did it like four or five times in a row. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, had, this, I, had, I had this question posed to me by someone today on some radio show I did or something. And that was the exact team I picked. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. If there's, a, if there's a Final Four team in the Big East, I believe it's Marquette. Uh, I, I love Kolick. Uh, I, I think he's terrific. Uh, and I, I think something about lefties. It just, lefties <laughs> just feels like they're so much more fun to watch. I don't know what it is. Lefty basketball players, lefty hitters. It's just something about them. He, ha- he has such terrific vision uh, and, and has such great instincts for how to run an offense uh, done an amazing job. And, and I, I agree that, you know, Morsell was a really tough, mentally tough player at Maryland. And uh, as an analyst for the big 10 network, I saw a ton of him and, and, and analyzed, uh, you know, halftime post game, a lot of his games. And he, he always was a warrior, a guy that they could, they could count on. And so uh, him being at Marquette was a huge addition. Yeah, yeah. I talked to them early in the year about how do you transpose a leader into a program that's that where he's brand new. Well, the advantage that Marquette has in that is that everybody's new. Head coach is new, point guard's new. Justin Lewis is like the only guy that's been there uh, just about. And so it, it, he's been able to do that because of that. And, and as a matter of fact, he and Justin go way back and Justin's kind of always looked up to him. So the chemistry of that group for a team that's been together a very short time is tremendous. They're both Baltimore guys, right? Yes. Is that the connection? Yeah. yeah, they played for Team Mello, uh, and so they knew each other from that. Those, those Baltimore guys are always tough, so it's, it's, it's good to see. I want to ask both you, both you guys this question. Um, Ashton, why don't you take it first? How worried are you about Villanova right now? Believe it or not, I'm not that worried. Um, and the reason why, they, they stick with their guns. They, they have an identity. Um, the one thing they need to do is just shoot the ball better. I think they've been inconsistent, you know, perimeter shooting those games where they just don't shoot the ball. Well, um, those are the games they, they typically lose also defensively keeping guys in front of them. I think one-on-one defense has been an issue, especially when they're not making shots. 
And that's, you know, that that's a typical basketball thing, especially uh, for younger guys. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really worried, believe it or not, um, just because they do have an identity. They, they're a veteran team. They've been here. So, you know, one game, I, I, I don't see one game turning into three or four losses. I, I see a, uh, I see a bad loss here and there, but they stick with their guns. They know who they are. And uh, Jay Wright, you know, he's been through it at the end of the day. So, you know, I always have trust in, in coaches like that. Yeah. If, 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 if you look at their season on the whole, I mean, the only team in the league they've had a lot of trouble with is Marquette. I mean, it's, you know, they've won going back to, to new year's they've won every other league game they've played it, they have limitations i mean they they don't have a rim protector uh, they're one of the lowest teams in the country in terms of blocking shots and that you know that impacts how how dominant you can be on defense but even at that they're still 21st in the country in efficiency on defense which tells you they know how to play uh, they know how to keep teams out of what they want to run uh, they, you know, they, they are able to be an effective team. I think that the, you know, the absence of a shot blocker limits their ceiling, uh, but that doesn't mean they can't match up their way into a elite eight or final four. They've got enough, you know, they've got enough guys who can really go uh, from Gillespie on down to, you know, Justin Moore, guys like that, that there's, there's too many really good players there. Remember they were not that far off a year ago from taking out Baylor in the sweet 16. And that was with Collins up in the stands. Yeah. Without Gillespie there, there's just a culture there, right? You, you kind of, you guys both kind of reference it. There's a culture and expectation of winning. And I think that that's a very difficult thing to instill. Um, speaking of an expectation of winning, uh, we talked about big East teams that can make a run to the final four. And we have not yet mentioned the team that is sitting in first place by two games. Uh, that is the Providence Friars. They are another team. They're kind of like Wisconsin where uh, they have uh, – their profile is, is really, really strong. Uh, they have some incredible wins. Um, their metrics, though, they're not, they're not loaded in Kempom. I think that – I'm bringing it up right now. They are 49th right now in Kempom. In the net, they are someplace uh, – I think it's 30, right around 30 yeah, last time yeah, I they, Yeah, it's 30th in Kempom. But they have – like they won at Wisconsin. Um, they beat Texas Tech at home. Uh, they have a win over UConn on the road. They've beaten Seton Hall, which doesn't look great anymore, but it's still Seton Hall. They got that win at Xavier. They beat Marquette at home. They're nine and one in the Big East. What do you, what do they need to do? I guess, Mike, what, what do you think they need to do to kind of prove themselves to the nation or have they already done? Well, I think, I think the, the, the metric aspect of this has become so pervasive and that, that's not a, that's not a criticism. It just is. I think sometimes you can lean on it a little hard, but it, it, you know, those, those numbers are important and they say a lot. Um, but the one thing that I think that, you know, I think that there's a, you know, the part of the predictive concept that is, I don't know, misguided is the idea that the teams that keep winning close games aren't, aren't extraordinary, that there's not something about them when you look at the other side of the coin and there are teams that keep losing close games. So there's a difference between those two sides of the coin. And you, you watch Purdue at the end of that Marquette game and Marquette's really good. And somebody, you know, when, when have you ever seen a dunk like Nate Watson's dunk in, in, in that, in that circumstance, 
not like beginning of the game, and you know, but like in that moment, he takes on three guys and throws it down and gets fouled. And, and that's a huge moment in that game. Like that doesn't happen, but that's the kind of player that they have, the kind of mental toughness that I'm going to go up and make this happen. And I, I think there's something to that. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, would I bet on them? And I'm not a better, but would I bet on them uh, to, to make a run or to win, you know, the, the uh, you know, to, w- to make the final four or whatever? No, it's probably not a great investment because the numbers say that you, they're probably going to get into one of those games against a really good team and find out themselves on the wrong side. But if they're in that game, they're going to have an advantage in that. It doesn't mean they win it every time, but they're going to know that they've done this 10 other times and that they could do it again. Yeah, I think the perfect example of that is um, is UConn. UConn is one and eight the last two years in games decided by five points or less. It, it's it's there's a mindset, right, Ash? And there's it, it's I, I struggle to find a way to kind of put it into words. But when you when you expect to win versus hoping to win, that's when you know you become a great program. Villanova expects to win close games. UConn hopes to win close games, and I think Providence has gotten to the point where they they kind of expect to win those close games, especially this season. Oh, for sure. I think it comes from Ed Cooley. He has a certain confidence about him. Um, He just has, yeah, he has an aura about him that feeds off on his players. Um, This, this is one of the hardest playing teams in America um, for sure. They play hard um, on both ends of the court. They, they play together. Um, They take, you know, they, they take a good shot and make it a great shot. They, everybody is just being unselfish. And uh, I just think defensively, that's where they make, they hang their hat as well. They, they really keep guys in front. They're tough. They're not afraid of anybody. And then, like you said, Rob, they expect to win. I think that's what Marquette is doing right now. Um, they, they're going into games expecting to win, um, high expectations, high standards, and they're living up to it. All right, so we got to get to a break here pretty quickly, but we've talked a little bit about Providence and we've talked about Wisconsin, two teams that aren't great in the metrics, but have some unbelievable wins. Mike, Kentucky, I think, is the opposite of that. They are eighth right now in the net. They're fourth right now in Kempom, and they've won at Kansas by 20, which is a fantastic win, uh, but they're also four or four against quad one opponents. And it seems like for most of the brackets that I've, I've looked at, including our bracket over at Fielding the 68, our, our Bracketology show, which will be streaming tomorrow at 6 p.m. right here on this YouTube channel. Um, we have them seated above the teams that have those better wins. And I get the feeling that you might disagree with that. Well, I, I, I don't think at this point that they should be seated ahead of either Wisconsin or Providence. Uh, ahead of some teams that have better wins or slightly or, or better quad one records, for instance, they, they're, they're ahead of some of them. I, I probably had Kentucky two lines ahead of where they should be, so to speak, based on their accomplishments for most of the last two, three weeks. Uh, but I, at some point, you have to go out there on the floor and prove it if you're going to be seated. When you, when you say top. you had them two lines, um, two lines above where they were, how much of that is like an expectation that, OK, look, we've seen what they are. They're going to get better. This resume is going to end up looking better. I, I need to have them higher than they are. I think this, to extend it, it might be considered to be metric. I mean, because they like blew out Carolina. They just get a win over a team that's an eight, nine type C. They just dominated it. So those kinds of things have fed into why I've had them up there two lines ahead. Uh, and also because to an extent, um, 
know, when they went to LSU, they lost Xavier Wheeler in, the, in early in the game. When they went to Auburn, same thing happened. So there's also that feeling that, you know, those games might have gone a little differently. Um, I don't usually pay that much attention to injury um, because everybody's had some injury somewhere or some COVID absence or whatever. So it's hard to keep. Yeah, I know the committee is aware of all of them, but you can't factor them all in. So, but I think it, I think that probably played into it just a little bit because it sort of feeds again into the whole metrics, you know, uh, margin of victory, uh, you know, obvious power uh, and obvious potential that they have. All right, we got to we gotta jump to a break here, but coming up next, we're going to talk about the Mountain West. Jeff Goodman said he did not want us to talk Mountain West. I'm the boss here, not Jeff Goodman. <laughs> You're clear. All right, Dagan, give us some questions, man. I, I actually, I have, I have a bone to pick. Uh, I think I was one that wanted to talk Mountain West hoops. <laughs> oh, you did. You did. It's a, it's a yes. team effort. It's a team effort. All right, I'll give, I'll give it a team effort. That's fine. Um, all right, let me go back and find some. I had a good one, but I lost it. Um, oh, what does Villanova need to do to improve throughout the rest of the season? <laughs> they need to add that guy. They don't have that guy. And if you don't know what that guy means, I'm talking a Jabari Smith. I'm talking a Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis. I'm talking a, a Jaden Ivy. They don't have that guy. They have a bunch of guys that would be the perfect complimentary piece if you had that guy. They don't have a Jalen Brunson. They don't have a Mikael Bridges. They don't have Josh Hart. To me, that's just what they, they just don't have. I don't want to say they don't have an alpha, but they don't have someone that can go out and beat somebody all by themselves. And I think you need that in March. They also need a shot blocker badly. They need yeah. somebody just changing shots around the rim. Yep. Dagan, what else you got? 30 seconds. Uh, quick one. Mike, this one's for you. Will Notre Dame make the tournament? Yeah, I think they will. I think the the quality of their uh, their quality of their wins is already there. And I think they're starting to get better and better. And that's a team that, that believes when they 15. go on the floor. And maybe it's because they look out in the ACC and say, we ought to be able to beat those 10. guys. Yep. I think they get into someone's got to get five in. seconds. It's the field of 68 for a reason. There you go. We're back. It is the field of 68 after dark. You're listening to us on Sirius XM channel 84. That is the ESPNU station. We are streaming live right now on Twitter and on YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button. I saw we're not we, we only have 19 likes on the channel right or on the show right now. We, we got to get it up. I know how many people are watching this live. So please go hit that like button. I'm calling you out if you don't, Carter Elliott. Um, all right. We got to talk Mountain West, man, because, Mike, I think that we can get four bids uh, from this conference. I don't think people realize how good this league is uh, in the metrics right now. I was looking at it today. Uh, they have one, two, three, four, five, six teams that are currently ranked in the top 52 on Kempom. Uh, the lowest out of that group is Colorado State, who I think you can make the argument is probably the, uh, I would say is maybe the best team in the league. I don't know. Might be Wyoming after the win they got tonight. But how how good is this conference and how many teams do you think get in at the end of the day? It's going to be three or four for sure. It, it depends on how, you know, they all will interact, those four teams, and how, you know, if, if one of them winds up with, with no wins in that group or, or, you know, or not enough wins in that group, maybe only one or whatever, maybe they could find their way off the edge of the bubble. 
but I, I think Wyoming I've had in my bracket from the very beginning, the, the metrics have been really strong on them. And now they're starting to get uh, those quality wins to add up as well. You know, Boise going tonight and losing there, I don't think is problematic. What's problematic is they still have the Bakersfield loss. You know, the, the Irvine loss is, you know, is technically a quad two, but the, so that's what, again, that's, the fan looks at it and says it's a quad two. The committee member looks at it and says, that's 124th in the country, man. You can't be losing that game. You better, you better do something that counteracts that. And they've done really well on the road in the league. They've won at Utah State. They've won at, at uh, Fresno State. Those are solid wins. Uh, I think the San Diego State win is, is the most important one they've gotten. Uh, when those teams start to flow through Boise, uh, as long as the Broncos don't drop any of those, uh, I think that they're going to make it. San Diego State is another team that has to – I thought they were going to make it easily, and they hit a rough patch in the last couple of weeks. So uh, they're, they're probably – of all the teams in the league right now, they're the ones that probably have to do the most work to make it a four-bid league. Yeah, at least they don't have any horrible losses, right? Like their worst one is at Utah State, and that's going to look great in the computer numbers just because um, – like I said, the league has really strong computer metrics. Colorado State's the one that I'm kind of worried about whether or not they can actually get in because they don't have that many great wins. They've beaten Creighton on a neutral. They have the win over St. Mary's at home. Uh, they beat Utah State at home, but they've also got a loss to, to UNLV in their own building, which is not going to look good. The good news for them, they have six of their final nine games are going to be against top 50 opponents. So they have the chances to kind of build up that resume. And that right there, to me, that's the difference maker. You have quality wins all over this conference, which is not necessarily something you can say about power conferences like the Pac-12 or the ACC. It, it's weird to think about it like that. But I, you know, I'm not complaining. I want some of these. I want to see Hunter Maldonado and Graham E.K. in the NCAA tournament. I want to see everybody should want to see David Roddy in the tournament. Have you guys had a chance to see this guy play? Yes. Like he's just yes. like 6'4", 275 pounds playing the Draymond Green role. Ash, talk to me a little bit about him. I like him, man. I like him a lot. Like you said, he reminds me of Draymond. He uh, he he can do it all. You just put a, a 6'4 monster out there and he could dribble, pass, and shoot with the best of them, but he makes good decisions. I, th I think that's the best part. He can create on his own, but he can pass out the post. He, he can get into the lane and kick. Um, anytime you have a guy like that, uh, it's a premium, I, I think. He definitely reminds me of, you know, a George Niang, Draymond Green type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, Dagan, I think you have the graphic for Wyoming there. Wyoming picked up two huge wins this week. They beat Colorado State at home. They beat Boise State at home. They're now tied for uh, first place, I believe, at least in the, the, the loss column um, in the Mountain West. Uh, Mike, you said that you've had them in since the beginning. The one concern that I have with them is they, they didn't beat anybody non-conference unless you count Washington as somebody and I don't count Washington as somebody so do you, how how comfortable do you think they can be and how much work do you think they have down the stretch well I I, I think that when you know like I said it started with the fact that uh, that their uh, their net ranking was really impressive and their record has been terrific all along uh, and so then you look at you know what's left uh, you know they they got Boise um, their next four games are all must win games. Uh, I don't think you, I don't think you can lose Utah state, San Jose, New Mexico and air force. And so by, if you get through those by the end, you're 21 and three, and then, it, you know, and then it, 
it, it down the stretch, I mean, you still don't have much. Uh, so you're going to have to just make it based on sheer force of numbers, which means, you know, maybe you can afford to lose the Colorado state game. Maybe you can't because you need the quality, you know, maybe you can afford to lose at Vegas because, you know, it's probably only a quad two loss and uh, it won't wreck you, but they, they they're going to, there are certain teams that do get in based on, like volume of victories. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's, it's certainly possible in a league like the mountain West. And, you know, right now with the way their the way their league schedule sets up in February, it doesn't do them any favors from the standpoint of giving them quality opportunities. They're going to have to win a ton to keep that spot. Yeah. The, the one good thing that I would say is that it's a little different than Murray state. Um, from a couple of years ago, which is probably the best example of stacking up a lot of wins, but not getting a lot of quality wins. At least you got top 50 and top 100 teams in that league. If you could say that you go uh, 16 to two in the Mountain West, that means something um, this year. I want to ask you guys real quick about Florida State and North Carolina, because I do think that they're both kind of in an interesting spot. I, I think North Carolina is going to turn this thing around, Ash, and I feel like they're kind of on the brink of making a run here. I think so as well. They they have the talent. Uh, you talk about Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Amar, uh, Armando Baycock. Um, I, I just think talent-wise, the, these guys, you know, the, these are some of the best guards in the country. And then Baycock is one – he's easily one of the best big bigs in the country. And um, you talk about their, their schedule moving forward. Obviously, the ACC isn't great this year. I mean, your, your talent level is there and then the winning pedigree is still UNC. So anytime you have, you know, talent like that, guys just need to come together and, uh, you know, play well, especially getting late into this late into the season. I think they'll definitely make a run here. Yeah. Mike, you got about uh, a minute here. North Carolina uh, is 14 or 16 and six on the season. They're ranked 35th in the net. Uh, they don't have a single loss outside of the quad one level, but they are 0 and 6 against quad one opponents with a 30 point loss to uh, Kentucky, a 17 point loss to Tennessee, and they were embarrassed at Wake Forest, at Miami. Um, what, what, what do you make of the team? They kind of have to beat Duke on Saturday, don't they? I think, that, I think that's really important. It, it, who would have ever imagined sitting here uh, before the first Saturday, Saturday in February and saying, North Carolina has two opportunities the entire rest of the regular season to play, not just a team that's quad one or this or that, but that's in the field, you know, the, my field, uh, you could take uh, Jerry's or Joe's or whoever, but I don't think you're going to find that anybody else has any different there. Uh, two team, two games and they're both against Duke and one of them's at home. I, I think that would be very helpful to get that one. Uh, they, they also have a quad one opportunity at Clemson followed following the Duke game. Uh, but after that, uh, you know, it gets pretty lean. They, they, they go to Virginia Tech. It's another quad one possibility, but not much that's going to turn anybody's head. So a, a win over Duke would really be helpful to them. I think it would calm a lot of concerns about where Carolina is. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they're going to go in there. They're going to get that win. They're going to play hard and they're going to execute the same way that we executed on the show tonight. This has been the serious. Uh, this has been the field of 68 after dark on Sirius XM. Make sure you head over to YouTube and watch us. We have the afters going on right now. So for Ashton Gibbs, for Mike DeCorsi, my name is Rob Doster. Thanks for being here. And a clerk.
All right. That was relatively painless, guys. All right. We got about 10 minutes here, maybe 12 if we could get Dagan to extend it a little bit for the afters, which means it's white claw time, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Dagan, hit us with some questions. All right. Let's let's look through here. Um, which team plays the hardest? Texas Tech, Auburn, Marquette, or Providence? Tech, I say Providence. Texas, Texas Tech. Tech. I, 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 I Providence, two votes yeah. for Texas Tech. Yeah, I think Texas like all those other teams play hard, and they also have a little bit of talent. Like I feel like Texas Tech just has a bunch of athletes that that are supposed to be playing football, but found their way to to playing with a round ball instead of playing with the what's your, what what shape is a football? What do you call that? Oblong. oblong? I think. Yeah. Oblong. I think that's the At, word. We can't ask Ashton that one. Ashton has no idea. <laughs> I have no clue. I, yeah, I think it's I think it's Texas Tech. That's 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 just me. Um, what else you got? Uh, let's see here. Question for the after show from MC Lee: uh, Was Justin Lewis snubbed not making the ten finalists of the Carl Malone Award? That's for power forward. Power forward. Right? Yes. Yeah, he's not a power forward. Like I, so I, I hate how the. This is a whole. It depends what you put I, him I, as. Yeah, because he could be a small ball as, four. He, he, I mean, I guess. But he's if it's the Carl Malone four. Award, like yeah, Carl Malone, Malone is do not, not play the same. No, position. not even close. <laughs> Which is the problem with like giving these. The, modern basketball does not have the five positions that those awards are labeled as. That, that that's my biggest quibble with those awards is that they're. Uh, they're listed as something that is from probably 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the Justin Lewis does not fit perfectly into any one of those, those categories. But if you don't think he's a top, he would have to be what, like top 50 player in college basketball top 50 player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said it, Ashton, he might be the the player of the year in the big East. No disrespect yep. to Adama Sonogo, who, uh, who some of us still think has a shot at winning that award. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, I could go, I could go on a Mike DeCourcy, ask rant about uh the problems with using those those definitive uh lineup categories uh let me ask you guys this then um who would your national player of the year be right now Ooh. it's tough i'm putting you on the spot you, you know it's a hard question but you've been asked that before haven't you it really it's really hard because like we did our mid-season all-america team i think 10 days ago it was before kentucky played auburn and oscar shibway was on our first all-america team and by the end of the Auburn game, I'm like, there's no way Oscar's making my first All-America team. He, you know, how, you, how can you guard screens that badly and be a first-team All-America? And then he comes back and he starts tearing everybody's heads off again, getting rebound. You know, so, it's, it's, so that's what make, makes it hard. There are, probably, there are probably nine to ten really good candidates this year and no one that stands out. And every time somebody has a great game, I mean, last night it was uh, – it was, um, Cool. Uh, Kofi Coburn. Uh, and so, oh, he's the player of the year. And after uh, Ochai had his back to backers uh, with, with 30 plus, it was him. And I was getting yelled at by Kansas fans for not having them on our first team. <laughs> so it's always somebody different depending on who had a great game lately, but it shows that like you, I, 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 I don't have any doubt there's nine or 10 guys that still at this point could be player of the year. Yeah. Ashton, who would, I would say, oh, right now? do you have a favorite? I would say Ochai um, if I had to choose one. But like Mike said, 
it, it can go day by day, week by week. Um, I, obviously, if Purdue is a little better, won a few more games, then I would, you know, Jaden Ivey will be up there. Johnny Davis will be up there, depending on their record. Um, I think that's big as well. Talk about team records as well, um, because there are a lot of a lot of guys that are deserving of it. But how uh, are they actually winning at a high clip? Yeah, my so I my only quibble with with putting Oscar Sheway all the way in that conversation is I think at heart he's kind of like a he's a role player, right? Like he does a job. You're not winning a game specifically because you have Oscar Sheway out there. You're winning a game because of what Oscar Sheway does in combination with everybody that he has with him. Whereas when you have someone like a Jordan, or I'm sorry, I always call him Jordan Davis, where you have like a Johnny Davis who can go take a game over and win it by himself like he did at Mackey Arena. To me, those are the guys like at the end of the day, the way that I think about it is if I'm picking someone for the first pick of a team, right? If I'm, if I'm starting a college basketball team and I, I need to make the first pick, it, it's not, it's not going to be Oscar Sheway. It's probably going to end up being Johnny Davis or maybe Kofi Coburn or maybe somebody else, depending on whatever, whoever went off recently. I just, that's my only quibble with having Oscar Sheway as the player of the year. Totally makes sense. Dagan, what else you got for us? So you were just talking about Johnny Davis. So what is Wisconsin's ceiling? Can they make it to the Sweet 16? Yeah, you guys know my take on this. What do you guys think? I, I you know, I, I think that they are good enough to beat most teams. The the firepower thing, if they play particular teams, it's going to be hard for them to to make enough buckets to beat the Zags or Baylor or somebody that can really score, but they're consistent. It, it, obviously for them to make, for them to make a run to the final four, Johnny Davis has to be like teams are guarding him a lot harder and, and he's struggling to be efficient. They're playing around it really well. Davison's making buckets, walls making buckets. So they're still winning games, but for them to win four in the NCAA tournament, Davis can't have those days. He can't, like he can't go five of 20. It, it, and I'm not blaming on it. I'm just saying you can't do that at that level and expect to advance. Yeah. You have to find Kemba. a way. He's got to be Kemba. I was literally going to say that he almost has to be in a Kemba Walker role. If they want to make it to an elite eight final four. Um, I love Brad Davison and you know, their role guys, but for them to really make that jump, yeah, he has to be a superstar, top five draft pick type of guy. Um, every single game um, can't have a drop off. So. Yeah. So my take is that if there's one guy in college basketball this year that can go on that kind of run where he just throws the team on his back, gets 30 every night, like what Steph did in uh, 2000 and was it 2008 that they came yes. with it, like one shot away from the final four or like what Kemba or Shabazz Napier did. Um, I think Johnny Davis is that guy. Now, I, I don't think I'd bet on it, but I do think that he's he's capable of putting together that kind of a run. Mostly because, I mean, they, if you could win in Mackey Arena, you could pretty much beat anybody in college basketball this year, I think. I agree. Dagan, what else, what else we got? We'll do, we'll do one more, then we'll get the three cheers. Is Baylor – oh, I lost it. Hold on. Is Baylor healthy in the running to repeat? Mike, you want to take that one first? I couldn't hear the second part of the question. Say it one more time. Is Baylor healthy in the running to re repeat? 
Well, they didn't win it last year, so they can't repeat. But I'm sorry, I thought you said Gonzaga. My bad. Um, no, Baylor. Baylor. Yeah, I I think they are. Uh, uh, I I think they they have the ability. Uh, one of the things that strikes me is that when they want, I, I hope I think they will open the season with 14 in a row, and there were some really good wins in there. Matthew Meyer was not playing well at all. And you're starting to see him stir a little bit. He's had a couple of really good games lately. And I think if, if he starts to play more consistently the way he's capable of playing, that gives them a lot of weapons. And they still have the really physically powerful front court defense, the offensive rebounding, all of that. So, yeah, I think that when they're, when they're, when they're whole, they're absolutely good enough to win it. I, I agree a hundred percent. I love James Akinjo um, as a point guard. Like he can score, it, makes plays, uh, fearless, not scared of tough anybody. As hell. Tough, tough as hell. Tough. So uh, I, I really I, I like their squad. Yeah, uh, just to to kind of the the healthy point to drive that home. James Akinjo has missed two games um, in the last couple of weeks, but they weren't back to back. Like he's dealing with the with an ankle injury. Um, Adam Flagler is dealing. I think he also has an ankle injury and then LJ Cryer has a foot that's, that's banged up all three of the guys that they're three great guards are all dealing with some kind of, uh, bad way. I can't remember specifically who's dealing with what, but if all, all, if all three of them get healthy, that they're, they're, they're elite. They're a top three team in college basketball. Remember in, in, in what, in one way, they are like on the exact same timeline as a year ago. Because they beat everybody's brains out for two months and then they, you know, and then they went on a COVID pause for a week and a half, two weeks, and then they came back and gradually cranked it up to being the best team in the country. So I think, tell me if I'm crazy here, Mike, I think that if they don't have their COVID pause, they probably go undefeated last year at minimum they are the team that we all are saying are the best team in college basketball like i think that that narrative really picks up steam if they don't have those three weeks in february where they don't play i think that's you know when i when you look back at them i mean they were so hard to play against i mean i'm telling the truth when i was i was sitting there in the end zone with you and and every and all the rest of us who braved the uh the uh the the pre-vaccine world um, and, and I watched like literally like a minute and a half and I knew that Gonzaga was in just terrible trouble mm-hmm. uh, unless, you know, unless they started bombing in threes that they were, I mean, they, cause they just, they couldn't get a rebound. I mean, you got Drew Timmy out there and he can't get near the ball. And so they, a year ago, like that team was just so physically powerful up front. And then, so, you know, so skillful along the perimeter that they were clearly, uh, they were clearly capable of winning every game. Could someone, Texas or someone, have sneaked up Oklahoma State with Cade? I, it's you know it's probable that one of them would have gotten them somewhere, but they certainly had the ability to win every game if they had if they didn't have the pause. Yep. All right. Let's get to. Uh, we're actually going to do four cheers tonight. We're going to start it off with. Uh... With uh, with Dagan, producer Dagan Hughes, I'm going to let you lead this one off. Thanks, your, Rob. Your, I appreciate it. This is on this is unfamiliar territory for me. Um, but my cheers of the night. Actually, you always yell at everybody for it happening yesterday. But my three cheers happened yesterday. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my little brother Ryan Hughes. Uh, scored his 1,000th point yesterday for Sinus College. So I want to give him a shout out. 
um, here on After Dark After. So congrats to you, Ryan. Cheers to Ryan Hughes. Cheers, cheers, Ryan. Mike, you go ahead. I'm giving you the next one. Okay, well, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Chet Holmgren then. Um, as I as I mentioned before uh, during the regular program, that I I want to see him become a great player. And you know, one of the things that I said uh, fairly regularly in the last month since I saw Jalen Smith a few times. I said, I don't want to be the GM. I literally don't want to be the GM that has to choose between him and Paolo Bancaro. And now I realize after watching a little bit more of Chet and as he continues to develop, now I don't want to be the GM that has to choose between Bancaro and Smith and Chet Holmgren. That's, that's a really strong top of the draft. I, I think whoever is one, two, three is going to get a gr- potentially great player. And as I said, if you win that lottery ball, that's a tough selection. I would go, I would take Jabari Smith. Who would you take? I'm putting you on the spot. You got to make a decision right now. Yeah. I, I t- I'd take Jabari as well. I'm Jabari I'm a little bit about his gear, but yeah, I look, I'll tell you what, if you, this is going to be another one of those drafts where if you end up with the third pick, you're not going to be pissed that you didn't get the first pick. So I didn't get to hear Ashton's. What was your answer, Ashton? Oh, Jabari, for sure. Without question. Without (laughs) question. Uh, So you'd gladly be that GM then. Yeah. (laughs) Put you in a good spot. All right, Ashton, give me your cheers of the night. Uh, Cheers to Kirk Kreese. I think he's had a rough few games today. He comes out 16 points. Um, hit some big shots in a win against UCLA. Uh, cheers to Kerr. All right. So uh, mine is I'm going a little bit off the board here. Uh, I'm going with Norshad Omir. He is a six foot seven, 230 pound pr- uh, freshman um, from the Arkansas State uh, Red Wolves. And tonight he put up 23 points and, uh, and, and 26 boards. Um, they lost wow. to, uh, lost to Louisiana Mon- Monroe, Louisiana Monroe is how you got to say it, but he's averaging 17 and 11 with two blocks and 1.4 steals this year. One of the best mid major players that nobody is talking about. So I wanted to give him a little bit of shout out uh, 23 points and 26 boards. Who does that? Nobody does that. That's ridiculous. That's, awesome. That's insane. Um, so to North shadow to Kirk Kreese, to, uh, Mike, who did you say? Oh, to Chet Holmgren Chet and Holmgren. to Ryan Hughes, baby. This has been the field of 68 after dark.